0: Where we
1: discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, we have a terrific interview for you with Chris Lucas, who is the author of Top Disney 100 Top 10 Lists of the Best of Disney, From the Man to the Mouse and Beyond. So we had the opportunity to interview Chris about his book. And he also came up with a special top 10 list for us on unbuilt Disney attractions. And I will say this interview was great. It was a history lesson mixed in with some interesting details about Disney and And Chris's knowledge is just I feel like unparalleled and
0: we also got like a little Hollywood lesson too because he has ties and connections to Hollywood since he's an actor so yeah it was a fascinating interview multifaceted and yeah I think that you guys are gonna love it
1: yeah so we will uh, jump into the interview and then we will do Disney news after the interview so enjoy today on the podcast we're happy to be joined by chris lucas who is author of top disney 100 top 10 lists of the best of disney from the man to the mouse and beyond chris thanks for joining us today no thank you for having me so this is a really interesting book i mean 100 top 10 lists on disney you have everything from 10 uh quotes from walt to the you know top 10 animators and imagineers uh you know really extensive i guess my first question is what made you decide to put together such a comprehensive list about Disney?
2: It it actually started these, my background, I'm an actor, it's what I do for a living. So uh, when Walt's birthday was approaching, his 100th birthday, 2001, I, I wanted to put together sort of a, a one-man show where I'd play Walt Disney and I'd go around the country and kind of tell his life story as Walt. So mm-hmm. I was doing all this research, reading hundreds of books and going to the archives and doing all this great stuff and I I did come up with the show and it was successful but part of it you know was nagging at me so this needs to be a book somehow if I can figure out a way and and when you set out to write a book because I believe everybody's got a book in them so you've got something you could write about but one of the things you need to ask yourself because the audience will never buy it is what can I say about the subject or how can I present it in a way that hasn't been done before so with disney that's a tough proposition because there's so many books out there so what i did and and it took me 20 years to do this almost was to kind of compile it in a series of top 10 lists and i didn't set out to do this but it turned out to be as i was writing it turned out to be a chronological like walk through the history of disney where you look at some of the lists. And you connect the dots to this later on. You go, oh, I see why this movie did that because of what happened here. And uh, again, it wasn't my intention in the beginning, but it turned out to be a happy little coincidence.
1: And the way it is laid out, I think that's a, a perfect description of it. Like you said, it is kind of a history of it and you don't really go through the list of trying to like rank them. You know, you're not trying to say, Oh, this one's better than the other. It's kind of, these are the top 10 things. And you, you even mentioned, you try to do it chronologically. So, you know, one of the lists is important places in Walt's life, which I think is really interesting because. I mean, one that's just interesting to see, you know, kind of Walt's upbringing, but you know, if you wanted to travel to some of those places, you know, you could do that as a fan of Disney and of his life. Um, it's kind of a guidebook
2: as well, and and that was part of you know. People always ask me what's my favorite chapter, and it's hard. It's like picking your favorite kid, but <laughs> uh, th- that chapter, the one about Waltz, is the one that I really uh, because I love his life so much, and obviously I researched so much about it. But to me, that's the core of everything Disney. If you understand where he came from and what influenced him and what made him tick. Then everything, you you start to look at all of Disney and go, oh, I get it. I know why Main Street looks like that. And I know why, you know, Tomorrowland feels like this and why some of the movies are, it all ties together with this one man and his vision and what he brought upon the world.
0: That's awesome. So would, what would you say is the most interesting thing that you learned?
2: Well, that's a good question. A lot of, uh, a, a lot of my most interesting stuff in the book came from talking to his daughter, Diane, and his son-in-law mm. uh, because, you know, it's great to read books about somebody, but when you get to sit down with their family member and talk to them and, and hear firsthand what it was like to live in that house, and his son-in-law, Ron Miller, who just passed away uh, recently about a year or two ago, was uh, he was the most important to this book because he he was not only walt's son-in-law but he took over disney uh, mm-hmm. walt was grooming him to yeah. be the man that took over so uh, he gave me the perspective not only as a family member but as the business side what was what was going on behind the scenes and uh, you know a lot of people some of the the myths about walt is that he hated sequels which is not true walt loves sequels and and if he if, if he saw money in something he would do it but at the time, you know, movies, we didn't have home video and there was no cable. So movies could be released every seven years, like Snow White could come out of, and they would make money on it. So there's no reason to make a sequel because you could just keep putting the same movie out over and over and over again and making a whole bunch of money on something that was already made. So uh, that's why you didn't see many of those. And the second thing, um, which today, and this came from Ron Miller, a lot of people say, oh, uh, you know, if Walt were alive, he wouldn't be making these kind of movies or he wouldn't have bought up all these properties And Ron said, you have to understand, it was the 1960s. Walt, A, didn't have the money to buy up a whole bunch of other properties. He could have if he wanted. He did buy Zorro. He bought Mary Poppins. He bought Winnie the Pooh. He bought Mm -hmm. Peter Pan. So it happened back then. And B, uh, it was, again, a different world where he couldn't make movies. He watched To Kill a Mockingbird, for instance. They sat down and watched it together. And Walt was in tears and said, I would love to make a movie like this, but people just won't accept Disney Making movies, So it took a while. Ron Miller was the guy that started Touchstone Pictures and got them moving to that direction. But even after Walt died, they were sticking with that same formula of silly family comedy and not really, you know, while everybody else was making Star Wars and Jaws and Superman and Close Encounters, they weren't moving in that direction. So they almost got left behind, but thank goodness it changed. So yeah, talking to the family members is probably the best thing that happened in the creation of this book.
0: Now that you you mentioned, you said that, you know, talking to them gave you a lot of insight and we we do a, a series called Disney Decade and it really brings to light a lot of the changes that Ron Miller put like made for the Disney company. And then we even talked about how some of the choices that he made were seemed a little strange or a little out there. But that makes so much more sense now thinking of it in the light that maybe that was something that he was trying to do because that was something that Walt had wanted.
2: So, you know, it's yeah. you, you, We can never say, and people always ask, what would Walt do now? Remember, he died in 1966 mm-hmm. on the world. Essentially, 1968, 69 started changing in a million ways, politically, financially, mm-hmm. economically, uh, the women's rights movement. So a lot of, you know, it's not, it's a different world than he lived in. So who knows what he would have done, but Ron Miller at least had an idea And was trying Mm -hmm. to get Disney. It took he had to fight a lot to get it there. But and then they fired him once it started happening. They got rid of him and brought in Michael Eisner. So, uh, you know, he he was the guy who really did want to get it to where Walt had imagined, but never got there.
1: Yeah, and I think that's you you know you hear a lot of people like one of the knocks on Disney now, especially on the theme parks, is oh Walt would have never done this. Walt would have never done that. They're changing too much stuff, or there's too many new things here. They're not keeping all the classics and i mean i think to your point people don't remember walt had a lot of ideas and he wanted to do a lot of things i mean you know a quote walt always said is disneyland's never going to be finished Mm -hmm. it's always going to be changing and i think you're right i think a lot of people you know tend to think of walt um you know as just as just this one kind of dimensional type person to a certain extent um and and not realizing all the other things he was involved in um, and, and kind of how he looked at things. And, and really to, yeah, try to say that, oh, Walt would have never done that today isn't really necessarily a fair assessment.
2: Well, one, one of the things when I do the one-person show about Walt, the the it's a, the conceit of the show is that he's he's at this press conference in Florida where he's announcing his Florida project. So it gives him an opportunity. He's talking about his life and how he got there. But the, the final act is him with a big chart behind him, which is taken from real life where Walt is pointing to it. And it's a map of what he wants his Florida project. And a lot of that that act is talking about how he's building a city and this industry is going to go here and we're going to build this factory here and we're going to have a sports room. and one of the things people always say to me is why aren't you talking about theme parks and they don't realize that walt <laughs> by the end of his life had really you know okay i've mm-hmm. been there done that with theme parks and he moved on he wanted to build a brand new city but that never happened so even walt was moving you know he might if he had lived into the 70s who knows, you know, theme parks would have still been there, but he would have his focus would have been on something complete. He would have changed the world in another way.
1: Yeah, that that's fascinating. Are you still doing the one man play?
2: I, I do. I happen to obviously this year with everything that's been going on, we haven't done it, but I I because I was writing this book and a couple of other projects, I kinda scaled back a little bit and I was on a couple of TV shows for a while, so it, it hampered me moving around and doing it. But I I was hoping to get back to it this year because a lot of uh, libraries and museums are having me come and talk about the book. So I've done the show while promoting the book. So hopefully, fingers crossed, next year, I'll, I'll get back around to doing it.
0: Yeah, I'd love to see it. It sounds really yeah, interesting. Sounds oh,
2: thank you. Thank you.
1: So were you always a fan of Disney growing up as a child? Like, did you go to the theme parks a lot? Or was this just something that came about whenever you decided to, you know, start and write this uh, this one man play?
2: That's a great question, you know, like everybody, my I had a family member, my grandmother, who was a big Disney fan, and you know, mm-hmm. lots of other people in my family. but um we were we lived in on and st- I still live in New Jersey. so I'm about a thousand miles away from Florida. And today, that's, you know, if I want to take my boys there, a plane ride. Not that expensive Where I can drive for 18 hours, get there. And But back in the 70s when I grew up, that wasn't the case. It was really super expensive to get your whole family down. So we couldn't afford to get to the theme park. So uh, that's another thing where people always say, oh, the prices of Disney and Walt would be outraged. During Walt's lifetime, two-thirds of the people in the United States couldn't afford to get to Disneyland, and he was just Mm -hmm. fine with that because his answer was, that's why I provide all the other things, the TV shows, the comic books, the toys, Mm -hmm. the movies. Like, if you want to experience Disney, you don't have to come to my park. I'd love you to, but there are others. So I I didn't get to the park until I was a little bit older, and we had to live vicariously through all the other Disney stuff. So thank goodness the movies were there. And and, uh, really what hooked me on Disney was I was five years old, and my grandmother took us to Radio City Music Hall in New York and we went to see Robin Hood when it came out in theaters nineteen seventy-three. Mm-hmm. And they didn't just do the movie at Radio City. They before the show, the Rockettes came out, they did a big production. Mm-hmm. They had Mickey and Minnie and all the characters, and then they showed oh, a little wow. cartoon, and then the movie, and then after the movie, all the characters came back out again, and the rockets did another 30 minutes, so it was a whole wow. production, and two things happened when I saw that movie for the first time. I fell in love with Disney, and I fell in love with show business, and I said, I want to do that. I want to be up on that stage. I want to <laughs> be the one making people smile and happy, so uh, luckily the two have now come together, but yeah, that was that's really what cemented it for me, but Disney was always there like it is for everybody.
1: That's wow. amazing. Yeah, that, yeah that, amazing. that sounds like an incredible you, kind of experience, uh, you know, as a young kid seeing that movie, Radio City Music Hall. I would imagine that would make an impact on anyone.
2: So, yeah, you know, and sounds it's, it's also
0: amazing how you actualize that. <laughs> like, you, made, you found a way to, like, <laughs> meld them together and do something with it.
2: It's, well, you know, you have goals and dreams. I was lucky, I and mean, I'm a little blessed because I live right here in New York. So, it was a lot easier. I My first Broadway show I did when I was 13 years old. So, it's a little easier when you're here that, you know, oh, wow. you can go and do that but yeah it's you know, if you've ever seen the movie Annie, the 1982 one, the the classic the original one that that there's a whole scene where she goes to Radio City and they do the whole number and, all, and when I see that I'm like yeah that, that's what it was that's people and then that was the 1930s but they were still doing that in the 1970s.
0: All right, what movie, What was the Broadway show that you were in? Now I need to know. <laughs> <This> <laughs> it was, is not related uh, it was, to Disney, but no, it
2: was, it was called The Christopher Blood. It was a Sherlock Holmes play. the Charlton oh, Heston. Cool. Uh, it was actually Glenn Close's first play and Nathan Lane his first job. So, oh, cool. And it was a so lot you of fun. Met
0: Timon. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I did. Yeah, I, he lived around the corner from me when I grew up. Actually, I grew up oh, in so Jersey cool. City, and he was a, he went to the same high school I went to. He was a few years ahead of me, and oh. and around there. And I I was lucky enough I, I was on Thirty Rock for a little while, so I got to do an episode with him and. Catch up oh, with Timon.
0: Wow. Yeah, I was gonna. Any, any funny stories?
2: <laughs> I'm I just, he's uh, Nathan is exactly. Well, first of all, his real name is Joe. He changed it. He did Guys and Dolls what? in high school. Yeah, it's Joe Lane. And he, <laughs> he was in high school, in my high school, St. Peter's Prep, and he did a production of Guys and Dolls and he played Nathan Detroit. So when he joined the union, you if someone already has your name you have to come up with a different like my name in the union is Christopher Patrick Lucas cuz there's already a Chris Lucas so there was already a Joe Lane and he just said all right just call me Nathan Lane and that's how he got the name
1: <laughs> that's so that's cool nice and, but, yeah. and, and still a disney connection
2: so oh yeah and and he, al- he always was a disney fan too i mean he's you know now he's a disney legend but he he was mm-hmm. always that was one of the things that always attracted into show business too was disney that's yeah, fascinating that's
1: amazing so all right so i know um Today you've prepared a top ten, um, and I'm excited to get into this. So it's uh, top ten unbuilt Disney attractions, and some of these we have never heard of. So I'm actually really excited to to learn a little bit more about them.
2: Sure. Well, I, you know, I'll, I'll do it like I do in the book, which is chronological order. So I, you mentioned it before, but one of the things I did in the book was I don't want to say, you know, oh Mary Poppins is a better movie than Bedknobs and Broomsticks. So I did it chronologically so that you know, they're in there, the top 10, but it doesn't look like I'm ranking them. So I'll do the same thing (laughs) here. I'll do it chronologically. We'll go from the earliest to the newest. So the the, um, Liberty Street slash Edison Square, Uh, that was one of Walt's dreams when he built Disneyland. You know, he didn't have a lot of money in the beginning, but he wanted to build a street that would be run parallel to Main Street and call it Liberty Street. And it was going to end at Edison Square. And that was going to be... Uh, a replica of Ellis Island and it was going to have a hall of presidents where you would see wax figures of all the presidents to that time. It was going to have uh, Thomas Edison's laboratory and it was going to have the Liberty tree and all this fun stuff. And, um, he ran out of money. So he had to decide, you know, what was a priority. And he kept saying, I'll get back to it. I'll get back to it. I'll, and he never got back to it. So that wound up later on, which is going to happen with a lot of these ideas. You'll hear that wound up evolving when they decided to build Walt Disney World, they said, well, we have a space, we'll build Liberty Square. So when you go to Liberty Square and you see that, uh, and the Hall of Presidents obviously evolved from Walt's Abraham Lincoln uh display great moments with mr lincoln but right. uh that originally the hall of presidents was his idea he was going to do wax figures before animatronics so all, everything you see in walt disney world imagine that on one street behind main street in disneyland which is now like their back alley area but that's it was supposed to be liberty street edison square and they did and if you go to disneyland paris they did build it there but uh, you could see what it would have been like over there but here okay. you know liberty square is as close as we get
1: so was it going to be around the same time period as Main Street? Or was the idea that it would be kind of set in a different place in time to kind of give some contrast to Main it Street? It would kind
2: of... You, you would walk... As a good question. You would walk through time. So you'd go from the colonial era... And then walk up to you know the Industrial Revolution and then Liberty, there'd be a replica of the Statue of Liberty and Edison and all that stuff. So it was sort of a, a – if you imagine walking along Main Street, which is this one time period, mm-hmm. if you imagine the time period changing as you're walking up the street, that's what Liberty Square was supposed that's to be. That's
0: really cool. That's a yeah. neat idea. Yeah. Like you're walking a timeline. Absolutely. And and that's
2: in Disneyland Paris. That's what they have. I forget what they call it, and it's on both sides of the street. We because Main Street USA in Paris doesn't work because they just you know it means a lot to us, but Main Street USA wouldn't work over in Europe. So they built what people want to think of as American history, kind of like a little mini. As you walk through, you get an idea of what our history was like. So um, yeah, you could see it if you go there. But here, it was never built as the way Walt, Walt wanted it to.
1: That's really interesting. I think that would be amazing. I think Disney is at their best when they have kind of that educational and entertainment mixed in the theme parks. So I think having something like that of walking through time in the theme park would have been really amazing th- to see.
0: I think Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> is pretty great, and there's uh, no history there.
2: Yeah, I agree. Well, you'd be surprised that uh, the, the new ride, what what I the plan is, and they haven't confirmed this, is that it's going to be Peter... Uh, Peter Quill, his mom took him to Epcot in the 80s, and he's trying to bring the other guys back in time to see what it was like. So they're going to have flashbacks to all these different, like world of motion and the original imagination, so supposedly, go. is what they're saying. That's why it's called, I forget the name of uh, um,
1: uh, Cosmic Rewind.
2: Thank you. Cosmic Rewind. Yep. Rewind being he's going back in time that to the sense. early 80s. So it's a way that to pay tribute cool. to old Epcot without, you know, building it all again. So, But I'm glad you say that about the history part because that comes up a lot here in some of these ideas. So the next one, I mentioned earlier that two-thirds of the people couldn't get to California to go to Disneyland. So Walt, every city in the United States was bugging him to build a Disneyland by them, build it here, build it there. And he did look at a bunch of sites. He looked right here where I live in New Jersey where the Meadowlands area is where the Giants and Jets play. That was supposed Mm -hmm. to be Epcot. But he decided not to build here because the weather was bad and uh, he would have to put a dome on it and all. So uh, one of the places that they came really – they were like a month away from signing was in St. Louis. So where where the Cardinals play now, Bush Stadium, and where the Arch is, that was supposed to be a second Disneyland. It was going to be indoor Disneyland. So it was going to be cold. Okay. I was going to say that I,
1: I think we have mentioned this before, and that's what I was just going to ask. Wasn't this the one that was indoors? So, Okay.
2: Yeah, it it would have been uh, two-level indoor Disneyland with rides and everything, and it would have been massive. And it would have been, if you know St. Louis, right there where the stadium is, so right along the riverfront. And uh, the Arch came later. I don't know if they still would have built the Arch, but it would have been in that area. And it would have paid tribute to Lewis and Clark and a lot of the, you know, obviously the Mississippi River history. So and there would have been a big steamboat there that you could have gone on and off. So uh, Walt had that idea. And for a variety of reasons, weather being one of them, and money and another one, it was never built. And one of the rumors, never been confirmed, is that he was sitting with August Bush, the guy that ran, you know, the, ran St. Louis, the Bush Brewery, mm-hmm. and he said something to Walt about, "Oh, I hear you don't serve alcohol in Disneyland. What a stupid idea! Nobody will go any <laughs> place where there's no alcohol." And according to the rumors, Walt decided then and there, "All right, I'm not going to deal with this because." You know, I, I want my place to be beer-free. I, it's, it's a rumor. Who knows if that's what happened. But he also, in, in Missouri, uh, right a, a few, about 100 miles, 150 miles north of St. Louis is where Walt was born, Marceline. And his farm, if you ever get a chance, it's, it's a great Disney attraction that's not rides or anything. You get to go visit his actual farm, the barn where he grew up, the tree that he used to sit under as a kid and draw and all that. And they have all those stuff is still there. There's a big museum right in the Railroad Depot where he used to sit and watch trains go by. So that town invited him and Roy back in the 1950s, and he bought property there. They were going to build a theme park based on farming. And it was going to be like Farming USA and all that. And that never came up. So Missouri had a lot of stuff he wanted to build there and never got around to it.
0: I'm trying to figure out how that would work.
2: <laughs> well, again, I mean, and, and cool. with a lot of these, weather was the big factor that, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Florida and California are great because they can stay open 365 days a year. And so the, the next one, also weather related, but this time cold weather, which they wanted, was Mineral King. Uh, which is in the Sierra Mountains of California, and Walt Disney in 1960 they hired him to do the Winter Olympics, and he is the man. Walt Disney invented the opening ceremony, the closing. So they had never done that before, where everybody marches oh, well, through I the did not stadium. Know that. Yeah, that was his That's idea. Amazing. And the torch. There had been torches used before, but he—it was his idea to light the torch in Greece and then carry it thousands of miles and have it run through towns and people pass it to each other. That was, you know, he was all about spectacle and entertainment. Yeah. So he designed that, and he also had his costume department come up with costumes and designs for every country. And now the countries do it themselves. But all of that was Walt Disney. So, oh, so that he, was
1: just started in the. You said nineteen sixty. Nineteen sixty. Yeah, sixty years ago. Yeah, wow. the nineteen sixty wow. Winter Olympics. No so. Idea.
2: But he uh, he fell in love with winter sports, and uh, the California State Assembly came to him and said, "Walt, we have this area up here. We want you to develop a a kind of a snowy." Disneyland. So he started building what was called Mineral King. And they had all press conferences. There's You could look online, you could find all the photos and everything. And they were going to build a resort with skiing and everything else. And one of the things, Mark Davis, who was one of his great creators, who an imagineer and also animator who did uh, Pirates of the Caribbean and uh, Haunted Mansion, all these other great rides he came up with this idea, well, if we're in the mountains, why don't we have people welcomed by these bears, and there'll be like a country (laughs) music group, and they'll sing country music, and they'll, you know, Uh, you go around the resort. So he came up with the Country Bear Jamboree, which was going to be the highlight of this thing, and it was going to be a ride that you would go through, and the bears would take you through, and then you'd wind up seeing it. It was going to be like a Chuck E. Cheese dinner theater, that sort of thing with the bears. (laughs) And then... Walt died and Mineral King just fell out. the Disney wound up selling the property back to California. And it is a ski resort now, but it's not as much fun as what it would have been. And then Mark Davis held on to the idea when they decided to build Walt Disney World. He said, well, can't we just put the Country Bears down there? So uh, they are the first attraction, the Country Bears, that was unique to Walt Disney World, that there was not one already. Everything else was already in Disneyland. They just moved it to Florida. They made a copy of it for Florida. But uh, that one was original to Walt Disney World with Country Bears.
1: It's amazing how essentially no good idea that they come up with, like, doesn't get used at some point. So, you know, they like country bear jamboree, like they came up with that mineral King fell through, but then an opportunity presents itself and they're like, we're ready. We have, you know, something ready to go. So it's like, you know, no bad idea, you know, ever, ever falls off essentially.
2: And, and they still do it I've been to the archives I made a couple of trips into the archives and uh, Dave Smith who was the archivist for years uh, it, it, this is how nice a guy he was I literally wrote him a letter when I was making my Walt show and I was putting it together and I wanted to run the show by him he read the entire he didn't have to I just wanted you know comment he read the entire script gave me his phone number said call anytime he said when you're out here in California come visit the archives so oh, wow. I've been there but one of the things about the archives they have all this stuff on file and Imagineers to this day the, you know the Imagineer facility is only a couple miles away from the archives, they go there and they look at it and they see the ideas that were invent, you know, that weren't used from the fifties and sixties. And they're still to this day, they're using them on the properties all around the world today. So nothing, you're right. Nothing gets wasted by Disney.
1: That would be amazing to see those archives. I, I can only imagine yeah. the the information that they have in there. That's never been released before. Like you said, these ideas that, you know, people thought of 30, 40 years ago that weren't used that they're now using today. I, I'm it has to be amazing. Mm-hmm. It, it
2: is. It's. It, I don't know if you if you've ever seen the da Vin- I think it's the Da Vinci Code is the movie where this happened, but where they bring Tom Hanks in this like glass sealed room and he's got to wear the white yes. gloves and there's a guard standing. That's literally what they do at the Disney Archives. If <laughs> okay. I said, oh, I want to, if I want to see everything you have on Robin Hood, like all the original animated pencil sketches and all the, they bring me in a room and a guard stands there to make sure I'm not stealing anything and I have white gloves and they bring out all the everything and if it's a live action movie they'll bring out props and all that and you're supposed to be doing you have to prove to them you have a scholarly project that you're working you can't just go there it's not a museum but uh sometimes they do send out the disney archives send stuff out to like conventions and all that but to see it uh, if you were doing a a paper on robin hood or something else you would apply to them and if you get to go there you get this incredible experience to sit in a room all day and see all this amazing stuff
0: i think we're now working on an audio essay
2: yeah i
1: think we need a scholarly
0: article here i think so (laughs) that sounds like a blast
2: so, uh, the next one I think would be uh, Epcot. And y- yes, Epcot was built, but not the E.P.CO to the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. So, Walt's idea, uh, and most Disney fans are aware basically what it was, but he, the theme park was. He had to be dragged into putting that there. Roy was telling him, look, if you don't put a theme park here, we're not going to make money on it. You need to have Mm -hmm. some sort of thing. So the theme park was stuck way up in the corner. But if you look at the map of the property uh, that they had there, what he was going to do was build a city, its own uh, self contained city um, and he was going to have everything the city was public transportation monorails was going to be an airport there are actually two airports there uh, one of them was built a tiny airport that they only used for about two years but uh, it's still there and pro- it's kind of hidden away but you could still see the part of it on property but a lot of the stuff that he wanted to build he wanted to have factories he wanted to have design and he was going to partner with all these different companies like General Electric General Motors and they were going to put the- so it would not have been Disney World as we think of it today so all those people again who say oh Walt wouldn't this is—it's not even what Walt thought about when he bought all that property. He was thinking a building. He had no idea theme parks and resorts were going to be secondary to everything he wanted. They were going to be the money maker for his ideas. So, but one of the most fascinating things that doesn't get talked about is that at the time. Uh, In 1966, there were no professional sports in Florida. So there were, you know, you had lots of great college teams down there, but the Miami Dolphins had not started playing yet. There was no baseball, obviously no hockey, no basketball. So Walt wanted to build... He saw the Houston Astrodome, and he fell in love with that. He wanted to build the first dome stadium in Florida, and he was going to bring a team. Whether okay. He he loved baseball, so he wanted to have a baseball team there because baseball was expanding at the time, and they had the Montreal Expos, and I think the Seattle Mariners were the other team. But uh, he wanted a baseball team there, and short of that, he was going to try to get an NFL team or try to get an NBA team. So had it happened, you know, we we would have seen the first team. But uh, again, after Walt died... It wasn't just that he died, but it was that the economy crashed and we had the oil crisis and all. So that's the big reason why Epcot was never built the way he wanted it was because it's just there was no money around for Disney to do that project. Like, you know, right right now they're suffering. They were suffering back then, too. So it happens from time to time.
1: Yeah. So was Epcot was the plan for the community to go where the theme park ended up or was it in a different area down
2: there? Good question. So the, the Magic Kingdom would have been where Magic Kingdom was, which is sort of at the top of the property if you mm-hmm. look at the map, and then everything else where 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 Epcot Center is right now, where the parking lots, where Hollywood Studios, where the Boardwalk area, all that stuff would have been. They would just kept expanding outward in a circle. So the original the idea, if you look at it, is a big circle, a big hub and a spoke, and okay. the middle of the circle would have been the main part of Epcot Center, the the city center, I guess you call it.
1: Okay, so basically all of Walt Disney World was going to be a community and then you just have one one theme park there
2: pretty much and his down. thing you know he's, he, instead of, he would have Magic Kingdom and then his other thing was you know building RV parks and uh, okay. Fort Wilderness and mm-hmm. stuff he wanted that stuff he wanted homespun fun things that people could come but he didn't envision it to be this massive you know most famous resort in the world, most visited resort. Yeah, right, yeah he, right. he, that was not his thinking. That was Roy's thinking because Roy was a businessman and understood without Walt, you're not going to get these other things done. But uh, you know, And the other thing was one of Walt's best friends was Richard Nixon, who became president in 1969. Oh. So it's fascinating to think if Walt had lived and he had the president on his side, how much more could they have, you know... They, he would have had his buddy in the White House, you know, giving him giving him all the resources he needed. So, unfortunately, you know, a lot of stuff didn't happen. But
0: I don't know; he could have been tied in scandal too, though. <laughs> well,
2: I, I, I hope that wouldn't have happened, but you, or the opposite, Walt would have had a good effect, and the scandals never go. would have happened. So,
0: see, I like the optimism there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the next one, and this is, a, I will come back a little bit to Walt Disney World history, but Western River Expedition. And this one, you know, I I wish they'd gone through with this, was the original idea with Magic Kingdom was they were not going to build Pirates of the Caribbean because... Florida is right next to the Caribbean. The Bahamas are right there. And most people, if you've ever been to the Bahamas, everywhere you go there, every little island has a pirate museum. because, And they, and especially since the movies have come out, they're all capitalizing on pirates and pirate tours and all that stuff. Sort of, right. And it, rightfully so, because a lot of it happened there. So um, the original idea with Walt Disney World was instead of pirates, they were going to build a, a frontier area. And they were going to have Adventureland, but it would have been just the Jungle Cruise and a couple of other little things. And that corner where Pirates is now, where it curves around and you sort of abruptly wind up in Frontierland, that was going to be the Western River Expedition, which was going to be two things. It was going to be a boat ride like Pirates, but instead of, you know, a parrot and a skull and you drop down and you're seeing pirate ships, it would have been a little owl. Called Hoot Gibson. I'm not making this up. Uh, The plans are all again. Mark Mark Davis, the same guy who designed Country Bear Jamboree, designed this. And you would have gone through. uh, It's sort of like the Epcot uh, Listen to the Land, where you see like a little farmhouse, and you're on a nice little boat ride. The the opening, yeah, the opening would have been that. You'd be going along the Mississippi River through the Prairie, and you'd be following Lewis and Clark. And then you wind up going down a waterfall and you're in the middle of a cowboy gunfight and uh, then you wind up on the plains and you wind up meeting Native Americans and it ends at the Pacific Ocean and you've wound up, you know, you made it to where you needed to get to go and then you come back around. So it would have been a lot of uh, cowboys, a lot of Native Americans, a lot of that stuff that, you know, the Western mythology built in with Little House on the Prairie sort of stuff all mixed Mm -hmm. together. Um, But the problem was when they opened Magic Kingdom, they were getting ready to build this, and all the people in Florida came to Magic Kingdom and said, "Hey, where are the pirates?" They said, "What?" They said, oh, okay. We've been watching. We've been watching Disney's TV show, and he's got this cool ride with pirates. And they said, "Well, we didn't think you wanted the pirates." And they said, "No, no, we want the pirates." So public, <laughs> the public asked for it, and Disney wound up uh, giving them the pirates. So where that went. They built the pirate ride, but Mark Davis never gave up on it. He kept pushing and pushing. So finally in the 1970s, they said, all right, Mark, fine. And they built Thunder Mountain Railroad. And his okay. idea with Thunder Mountain Railroad, he said, well, yeah, he wanted a water ride, and he got that later with Splash Mountain, but uh, he wanted an outdoor water ride to go around this railroad that had a... He wanted two rides in one, and they said, we'll give you parts of it. So when you go through Thunder Mountain, you do see some of the things like a mining expedition and mm-hmm. Native Americans on you know on the shoreline and stuff like that, but it's not exactly... It would have been a dark ride. It would have been an indoor. It would have been Pirates of the Caribbean just with a cowboy theme. So okay. uh, Western, what became... Frontier land and everything you see there now is what would have been this big Western River expedition.
1: That would have been really interesting—an yeah. interesting spin on on pirates to have it uh, frontier Western themed. And and you know.
2: It made sense because, like I said, if you're in Florida, why would you want to see, you know, be like having, it's a mistake Disney made with California Adventure. They built Mm -hmm. a theme park about California in California. California, right. So uh, people were saying, well, what is, you know, why would we go see a theme park about our own state in (laughs) California? It made no sense. And that's why it failed in the beginning. So um, the same thing with Florida.
1: And it fits in with Adventureland and Frontierland right there, I think. Right. It would have a been a natural – yeah, it yeah. would have been
2: – and again, if you look now, the way Pirates is situated, it's outside of Adventureland. So it really, if you pay attention, right. it, it you're really actually in Frontierland. You're behind the Country Bear Jamboree, and they kind of – they dress up a little bit so you don't notice, but you're actually – you've stepped over into Frontierland when you go mm-hmm. to Pirates. So um, the other one that – this one is I, – I wish they had built this. And, you know, its it is – the everybody laments the Great Movie Ride, which yeah. is my my second favorite ride of all time, behind the Haunted Mansion. So, uh, but the Muppets originally, before Jim Henson died, they were going to play a bigger part in the Disney MGM Studios. So Jim Henson died in 1990, 30 years ago. So just after the theme park opened, so they did get to do the Muppet Vision 3D. But the other area, the other part of that area, they were going to build the Great Muppet Movie Ride, which would have mm-hmm. been the Muppets taking you through a history of Hollywood, but parodies of all the, like the Muppets playing okay. out scenes from Casablanca okay. and oh, cool. Frankenstein and all these other, and again, you can look, the plans are online, you find uh, images, and when Jim Henson died and Disney couldn't finish off the purchase of the Muppets, which they were planning to do back then, they eventually did, but back then uh, it never came to fruition, so the family just canceled it, but it would have been a tongue-in-cheek, very silly <laughs> replica of the great movie ride, and it would have had a Muppet theme. So, Unfortunately, the it would have been, the, yeah, would have been. Would. and and the, the, Disney keeps struggling with the Muppets. They're trying, God bless them. They keep you know <laughs> trying to get the Muppets relevant again, but audiences for some reason are just not catching on. or they? You know, there's obviously my generation still loves the old Muppet Show, and I'll always love the Muppets, but the today's generation, there's just not that same passion. So hopefully, one and I hope they never get rid of Muppet Vision 3D, or if they do, they update it and they don't just destroy the whole thing. But uh, it is very. When you look at that movie, it's still very 1990. And, you know, the Jim Henson, mm. it was his last thing that he did. So that's part of the reason why it's still there. But if they do decide to bring the Muppets back in a big way, hopefully that area of the park, they can maybe not do that ride, right, but something similar to it.
1: They have a new Muppet show on Disney Plus. So I, I think you're right there. They keep trying mm-hmm. to, to bring the Muppets yeah. back. Yeah. I, like they do. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and eventually this is... something hits. I yeah. think then, yeah, you, you could see a big Th- This is
2: off the too. topic, but I think if they return to the original formula, it's what worked. You know, do a little variety show in a theater where Kermit's trying to run the show, and, uh, you know, they try to make Kermit hip and edgy. He's not. Kermit's like Mickey Mouse. He's, you know, he's yeah. Mickey Mouse. He's Superman. He's the Boy Scout, and everybody around right. him gets to be crazy. But anyway, that's a whole different show to talk about them up. But uh, one of, there, there's a, a sort of, it's not on my list, but it's a side thing to that. I don't know if you're aware that Tower of Terror, do you know who originally designed that, what it was supposed to be? No, Mm-mm. Mel Brooks. It was going to be the. Oh, it was wow, going to be okay. Mel Brooks Hollywood Hotel, and you, it would have been like a funny, tongue in cheek. It would have been based on Young Frankenstein, Frankenstein.
1: That's what I was just and gonna okay.
2: and high anxiety, and a lot of his movies, and even a little bit of Blazing Saddles, where you would go through the same thing. You'd ride an elevator, it would drop you, but instead of seeing Twilight Zone stuff, it was going to be uh, Mel Brooks stuff, Mel Brooks. and they had. <laughs> They tried, and again the plans are online. You could find them, but uh, they just never, because of of rights issues with Gene Wilder and other people, that they couldn't work out. They just never got, and they decided to go a different direction. But okay. the idea for a haunted hotel came from Mel Brooks. It was his idea that they just adapted. So he got a nice check for it, and still talks <laughs> about it. But uh, it it never came to what he wanted it to be. Oh man, that
0: would have been then, really cool.
2: It would have been again, and it would go with the theme of Hollywood. You know, they, now they're more of a Hollywood theme, but in the beginning it was sort of you know, it was sort of backstage tours, but this would have added right. the Muppets and that. And then the other one that really would have done it, which they never built, was a dark ride. It was going to be called Dick Tracy's Crime Stoppers. And it was literally going to be based on the the Warren Beatty movie, and you would get in a, a vehicle. A police car, and it was going to be a dark ride where you'd just be kind of like Mister Toads, but amped up a thousand degrees, and you'd have all the villains shooting at you, and you'd be shooting back. It was going to be also uh, one of the interactive, like Buzz Lightyear or Toy Story Mania. Mm -hmm. You'd be shooting back, and it was going to spin around and all this stuff. And they had big plans for it. They were getting ready to build it, and then Dick Tracy flopped in the theaters, and the toys didn't sell, and people, the so you know adults said that it was too edgy for the kids or too violent. And and it just never worked out. But they did have a Dick Tracy stage show for a while there. And then when that movie came out, uh, which was 19... 90, yeah, 1990 it came out the year after Batman so 30 years ago they did have a lot of Dick Tracy in the MGM theme park but unfortunately the ride never got built which would have so, been I, I, they probably by now would have reinvented it for something else but right. you know it would have been cool to at least see what it was like
1: did, did that ride ultimately turn into I think it was like the Hollywood star limo or something like that that they had at, at Hollywood Studios did that kind of morph from that from the Dick Tracy crime stopper ride in, into that like when that kind of fell through they shifted gears
2: Parts of it did. Yeah. They, okay. they, that was after they started building the European Disney, which has put them in a lot of trouble. Then they started going a little bit cheaper. So they did take the ideas from Dick Tracy and trying to put it on that. And then the other ride that borrowed a lot of it was Roger Rabbit's Toontown spin, which is in, still there in Disneyland. And that they basically took what they were going to do with Dick Tracy, spinning cars and all sorts of made, but they did it on the cheap. There's not a lot of animatronics. It's just basically wax figures and pop ups and things like that. And that's with Dick Tracy, they were going to try to do that same thing. And, and they were going to mix in a little bit of what they did with Great Movie Ride. There were going to be live-action gangsters, you know, hopping on your vehicle or shooting at you. And okay. It's just, yeah, you know, they they More had great ideas. But but building Euro Disney really put a lot of that mm-hmm. uh, backwards.
1: I would say the next one is uh, Disney's America.
2: It is. And this is a good—we circle back to the history part. And this, also, we circle back to a bunch of other ones with uh, Edison Square and the Western River Expo. So this is possibly— Disney's most controversial idea ever, Uh, and it wasn't that one. They were going to
0: build in Virginia.
2: It was. It was 1992. They were going to build it in a place near Haymarket, Virginia. They they bought. They even bought the land. And then people around there found out about it, and the argument they made was, well, it's too close to Manassas and that Civil War battleground, and too many people will be coming here, and it's Holy Land, and you can't develop on it. But those people were influential people like David McCullough, uh, the Pulitzer Prize-winning author, and lots of people that had a lot of money and a lot of influence and were able to bend the ears of politicians and uh, Disney was not able to build there because of so much pressure and they said you can't build on this sacred property and as soon as Disney sold the property back all those people that complained about it they bought the property and now there's a Walmart and there's a bunch of condo developments oh, and geez. there's parking lots and so oh. it was just about we don't want Disney here we don't care you know we don't want and it would have done well because you know for me that would have been about four hours away so I could, yeah. you know that's a weekend trip it's uh, all that stuff and so they they looked at that they said Washington D.C. Philadelphia Boston New York Even people coming up from Florida, they would have had a lot of people from Ohio, from Indiana, would have driven there, you know, not that far away, but uh, unfortunately. But the other thing that and they were going to have – it was going to be like Disney World where you'd come in and the main hub was going to be uh, sort of an American mountain like Mount Rushmore kind of drawing you to the middle. And they were going to have an Industrial Revolution era. They were going to have the farming land like Walt wanted to build in Marceline. That was going to be used there. They were going to have Thomas Edison's laboratory, New York streets, which they wound up having in other places as well. But the one that – you know, they they look back and go, whew, we're glad we didn't do this. They were going to have – a Southern area and they were going to have a Southern plantation oh, and they were going to okay. yeah, exactly, yeah. So you, you <laughs> see, I mean, it's Splash Mountain is, doesn't even take place on a plantation, but the movie did. So even there, you know, now in today's right. day, you, you just can't go, even if you're doing it with the right intentions or you're trying to do the right thing, there was no way Disney could have won that, argument so nice. um, that was one of their idea they literally were going to have a working plantation and they were going to show what life was like and they were going to try to delicately tell the story of what happened there but um, you know in their Disney way like they do with the American Adventure and other movies where they sort of gloss over they get it in there but it's it's done in a happy way rather than getting to the gritty. so uh, everything they're kind of looking back now and saying, Well, we're glad we didn't get into that whole mess because yeah. anything about American history now, people would be scrutinizing every single little detail of mm-hmm. that park. So, um, but that's the one that, again in our time that that was an original idea. It, they took some of old Walt's old stuff, but it wasn't an idea that Walt had, it was they were going to build you know their own. And uh, also, European Disney had a lot to do with that too. When Euro Disney or whatever to Disneyland Paris, when that failed then they kind of again didn't have the resources to yeah, build all the a theme lot of parks. projects so, yeah. yeah so it, and, it, and it did for a while it kind of killed the disney's 90s uh it was supposed to be the decade of disney and they did for a while for about five years and then it fell off a cliff
0: like all of their villains in the 90s they all fell off the <laughs> of cliffs every uh, like almost everyone falls to their death there's like two or three that don't that's but, a good
2: point yeah look at that shot we, we did a whole... a whole
0: series where we we watched all of them, and I was like, I didn't realize how many of these villains fall to their deaths. It's insane.
2: Well, you know, it's an easy way to kill a villain without exactly. scaring children. Like, yeah. oh, they go, they're going off, and, you know, like Wiley e. Coyote. You just see yeah. the little puff of dust in the distance, and you get the idea. That's... Yeah. Speaking of dark, it leads to the next one, which is Beastly Kingdom, which uh, the last big project for Disney in the 90s was, of course, Animal Kingdom. And mm-hmm. if you look at it's still there. Look at their original logo, and you'll yeah. see... I believe, an elephant, a giraffe, and all animals. You go, oh, I know that animal. And then at the end, you see a dinosaur, and then <laughs> there's like a winged dragon creature. Mm-hmm. You're like, what? what is that? So now they shoehorn Pandora in there, and you go, oh, okay, that's the you know creatures from Pandora. But right. originally, for years, for decades, people were like, what is that doing there? But what they were going to do, what became Camp Mini Mickey, and what's now uh, the world of Avatar, was going to be Beastly Kingdom. And they were going to build this whole area with... Dinosaurs with uh, I'm sorry, not of dragons and it was gonna you know like Game of Thrones it was gonna they were gonna go that whole medieval route and it was gonna be things about Poseidon and mythology and all that and then Disney ran out of money. And they cut back, and they said, we're still building Animal Kingdom, but we're going to focus more on the African part and on the the safari. And really, when it opened, there was barely anything there for people to do, and it was sort of a half-day park, and you'd take the safari, and there was no Expedition Everest or all those other things. So uh, they let it fall apart. But what happened to them was all those designers that they let go – They wound up going other places, and they moved over to Universal, some of them, and you wound up having their area in Islands of Adventure, which came a little bit later, where you had poseidon and mythology and the dueling dragons ride and all that now a lot of that is harry potter they just converted that to. but the uh the harry potter dueling dragons ride for a while was originally just dueling dragons and it was an idea that was stolen literally from disney where they were going to have two roller coasters running at the same time coming very close to each other and that's what they did in in universal so uh i think even now that's gone that's where they put the hagrid ride now the new ride there but uh but that all, that Beastly Kingdom wound up being built, but just not at Disney. It wound up being built over at Islands of Adventure.
1: Didn't Animal Kingdom have a, a unicorn in it for a while? Because I, I believe I there was a ride that was going to have a unicorn, and I feel like that they actually – made that unicorn it's like sitting in a storage unit somewhere or something they did
2: yeah that was going to be part of beastly kingdom there's going to uh-huh. be like what, what became camp mini mickey was going to be a little camp for kids and beastly the unicorn i don't know if it was a carousel or was this some other simple ride that they were going to have you know kids riding on mythical happy creatures not scary dragons and all so uh, they did imagineering again in the archives they have a whole warehouse with all these things that were built that you know, never got, like, uh, Lucky the Dinosaur, which was the first walk-around animatronic figure with nobody, like, it, w- it was done by computers, and Wally was another oh, wow. one that they okay. built, but it was so heavy, but, uh, and they tried him for a while, but the heat in Florida, and it was like the the garbage can push that would go around, same thing. Um, but they were, they were animatronic figures that went on uh, now, I think Beaker rides around with Dr. Honeydew on the bicycle uh, in Epcot, the two Muppets, but th- that was one of the things they were going to do was have creatures wandering around the beastly kingdom too and never happened unfortunately
1: wow yeah unfortunate all right so so this last one i'm really excited about (laughs) because i really want to hear what this one's about so a godzilla train
2: yes well so originally when they built epcot and they built the the world showcase uh the myth that a lot of people have is that the countries built those land that's not true every single land that's there it was a company connected to the country that paid for that and a lot of it was alcohol coming. That was where Disney got around the alcohol thing. They wound up getting beer companies oh, yeah. and things like that. So, uh, in I forget which company it was that's still there that has the shop in in uh, Japan. That company built the Japanese area, and one of the things they said to Disney, they said, we want to give you the money, and we want to build a giant mountain that would go behind the nice little Japanese tea garden and all that stuff. You'd walk in the back, and you'd go through our shops, and it would take you to the ride, and it's going to be a giant replica of Mount Fuji, and you'll ride a roller coaster oh, wow. that will go through, and you'll be attacked by Godzilla in the middle, and then suddenly you'll start going backwards really fast, and Godzilla, oh, you'll hear wow. you'll Sounds hear better. his growls, and, and uh, you know, you'll see his eyes light up, and fire will shoot around. And then you'll wind up, you know, at the end of the ride encountering them one more time, get your photo taken with Godzilla, and that's it. So uh, Disney looked at it, and they were going to do it. And then the company had a financial, I forget, which it was one of the market crashes or something, and they lost a lot of money. And they backed out, and they asked Disney to take it on. And Disney said, look, we're not going to put money into that if we don't, you know, if it's your idea, we want to do our own thing. So uh, you said it sounds familiar, right? Uh-huh. Very yeah, exactly. Familiar. So they said, hey, we have all this land over in an Animal Kingdom, and a lot of people are saying it's a half-day park, and there's nothing to do, and we didn't build Dueling Dragons. So they wound up, Expedition Everest was this mm-hmm. version of the Godzilla ride, and uh, they wound up building it there, and the Yeti is their own, you know, they don't have to pay. And That was the other thing. Disney, if they did the ride, would have to pay Toho, the people that own Godzilla, For the rights. Even if they decided to make it a generic, you know, you couldn't get away. It's gonna it's Godzilla. People would still call it Godzilla. So they decided to make their own ride and make it a, you know, generic Yeti, abominable snowman that all that. But that's where it came from. It was really supposed to be in Japan, right behind the Japanese pavilion. There you would have seen Mount Fuji rising up.
1: I'm glad we got that ride in some form.
2: We, again, Disney never gives up on ideas. Yeah. You know, they just take it and go, "Hey, what else can we do with this idea?" And, and that's you know one of the things about Epcot. People don't realize is that the World Showcase, every one of those pavilions specifically has land behind it left for a ride. That Disney left every country the option if you want to build a ride that is related to your country. And most did not. Most, you know, Norway did with Maelstrom, and a, I forget it. One of them with some built theaters like China and Canada. But uh, now Disney. Has kind of taken the initiative that they're I, obviously it's going to be delayed now because of all the financial problems, but they're going to try to put rides corresponding with each of the countries with some of their you know Snow White in Germany and uh, Beauty and the be- Well they have Ratatouille going in France, but all the other ones that they can fit in there, uh, they'll try to get in wherever they can.
0: I feel like that park is going to be rough once they finally do that because everyone already wants to go there just for the food. And so there's still not that many attractions there. I mean, there are some, but I love to spend my time there because I love to ride all of the food booths. So when there are actual rides there, more of them, it's going to be just packed.
2: They're going to have a great cleanup crew there though, because people are going to be drinking all day and then going on <laughs> yes. these wild rides. so they'll yeah. have to make sure they're ready for that. But yeah, I agree. You know, and, and also for children, a lot of that was the knock on Epcot for yeah, years. I was just watching a Disney uh, a Simpsons episode on Disney Plus, and it was a joke about it, you know, the most boring park in the world, or the kids were like, "Oh, we have to go to Epcot, Oh no, yeah. because it was seen as boring. So now you know you get a couple of rides there with familiar characters, and hopefully it, it, it increases the, the excitement for people going there.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure Disney's kicking themselves that they didn't get the Godzilla ride paid for, because I think Everest cost them like $100 million or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They took that on themselves as a costly project. That was an incredible list, I think. um, Yeah, it is. I mean, really interesting. Uh, Again, a lot of stuff we didn't know before, a lot of great Disney history, and it is interesting to see how, like, like we've talked about throughout the show, that some of these old ideas show up in current form so you know it you hear about one of these ideas you're like oh that would have been great but it's like hey we we have something similar or you know it it influenced the ride we have today so it's it's really interesting to see that through line of the history of disney
2: and that's also when people say you know why are they changing what are they doing you see you know wait wait and see what it is because they're going to take an idea you know with mickey's runaway railway they'll take something that maybe walt had in his mind in the 1940s and just couldn't do back then and now you're gonna to get to see it, so I, I I always wait till something is open and then go and see, you know. And sometimes I do walk out and say, no, oh, it's kind of a dud," but other times I'm blown away by what I see. So, you know, you can never you can never criticize them before it's open. You wait and yeah. see what happens.
1: And then, uh, Chris, I know you have a, a new project you briefly want to discuss called Reach the Stars. So, if you want to tell our listeners uh, what that's about.
2: I do. It actually it ties into the acting and the Disney and all that. One of the things that uh, one of the ways that I've I've helped myself as an actor, you know, a lot of it is you want to sit around and wait for the phone to ring. But I, I'm <laughs> an avid letter writer. It's my grandmother who was the one that started me writing fan mail letters to people and. Um, just reaching out to anyone some of the biggest stars in the world uh, to presidents to kings to queens and just writing letters and you know sometimes you never hear from them sometimes you do I say it's like planting a seed in the ground Yeah, you put the seed in and you hope you get something and sometimes you don't but the fun is picking the seed and also young actors would say to me well how to get my foot in the door how do I make connections you know it's not what you know it's who you know and I tell them to write letters so I created a couple years ago this program teaching them you know What what do you say to somebody to get them to respond? You don't just write, hey, I want your autograph. Hey, I like you. They hear that all the time. What can you write to a famous person that'll get you a good response. So I taught this and over the years, you know, people would follow it and they'd get a 75% myself included. 75% response. 75% of the wow. celebrities I mail letters to I get personal letters back, not just an autograph or something where they answer. Well, that's yeah. impressive. Yeah, and well the secret is you have to you you connect with them as a person. You don't look at them as mm-hmm. like, you know, big time movie star. You just on a personal level. If I find out somebody, you know, like me, Let's say Tom Hanks went to see a movie at Radio City, and he writes about that in a magazine. I'll write him a letter saying, hey, Tom, here's my experience. I feel you know connected to you. And usually you'll get a letter back from the person because they want to talk to you about this. So, and I've gotten phone calls and things like that, and a lot of Disney people too. I've made connections with Dick Van Dyke and people like that oh, wow. Um, wow. because of Kurt Russell, because of letters I've written about my project. So it was for actors originally, but then one of the actors gave it to his mom, who was in the PTA, and she used it as a fundraiser and wound up getting two hundred items from celebrities all over the world. And then wow. one of the teachers said, "Well, this year I want to use it in my class for kids, uh, get them excited about writing." And she had she contacted me and said, "Can you get me if I got my kids to name their favorite celebrity? Can you get me the addresses for all the celebrities?" And I did. We got our thirty addresses, and the kids wrote thirty letters. And wow. some got letters back right away. And by that the end awesome. of the year, 25 of the 30 letters had gotten a response so it took a while for some of the you know some of the bigger oh, wow. stars may take a while but um so it kind of got in my head of hey maybe offer this so that's what i started doing this year in my downtime during not doing shows and uh not traveling with the book was was creating reach to stars so people could purchase it and see what it's about and then what i did was make lists of celebrities, like the one I put up for October is all the actors that have ever been in Stephen King movies. So all their addresses, if you wanted to write to them, I have a Disney list of all the Disney legends that are still alive. Uh, there's one of Marvel Comics characters. So um, reach the stars, you purchase it, you pay the price and you get all those addresses and you get the step-by-step instructions of how to write to these people and get a response back with some stories of how, you know, the success stories and things like that.
0: That's incredible. It blows my mind to see how innovative like educators are like that is so smart of that teacher. To, that you mentioned to, to have used it in that way. And um, she
2: she like I never would have thought of that. But she was no. she turned she said the kids were more excited about writing than any writing project she's ever done because they were writing to, you know, their favorite, their Taylor Swift or whoever it was that they were, you know, they wanted to let that person know how they felt. And yeah. they the the idea that they could reach out, they just gave them you know made them excited to do it, and they did research. The, so it was a kind of combination, not just writing, of all the skills: communications, research, reading, writing, all that mm-hmm. stuff kind of came into play.
0: Yeah, well, I know the light bulb has gone off in my head, so.
2: <laughs> and and it's also it's an inexpensive hobby. So you know, it, you, for the cost of a stamp, you send something in the mail, and a couple of weeks later, or a month later, or even a few days later, you'll you'll get something back, or a phone call, or or anything. So. Uh, it's, yeah, it's been my newest project, and luckily you know, people have been responding well to it.
1: That's great. If, yeah. if people are interested, where can they go uh, to sign up?
2: Sure. You can go to the website. It's uh, reachthestarsprogram.com. And right now, if you put in the code SALE, S-A-L-E, where it says coupon code, it's only $13 for the whole thing.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. And we will put so, a link in, in the uh, show notes as well. So, if Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, and then if, if people want to uh, follow you, learn more about you, um, where can they do so? Do you have a website, social media, or anything?
2: Uh, social media, yes. Chris Lucas, actor, on social media, but also the uh, there's a top Disney page on social media that uh, you can find. It's linked to the book, and every day we post something. It's kind of like what we did here. I put top ten lists or you know information. Uh, once a week, I'll put information about a Disney movie, stuff you didn't know about that movie, and every Friday it's about a different star. That like I, we just this past week did Jim Varney. The, the guy who played Ernest, because people don't realize three of the four of the Ernest movies were Disney movies, and okay. you know obviously he did he did the voice of uh, Slinky Dog and Toy Story and a couple of okay. other things, and he passed away sadly at fifty years old, a very young man. But uh, so this weekend was about him too. So when you go on the page Top Disney on Facebook, uh, you can see a lot of that on there as well. Those are that's the best place to find it.
1: Great. And again, the book is Top Disney 100 Top 10 Lists of the Best of Disney from the Man to the Mouse and Beyond. Uh, Chris, this was uh, (laughs) a great episode. Very enlightening. Uh, Really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you so much again.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. It's always nice to talk to fellow Disney fans.
0: I just want to thank Chris again for the interview. It was awesome. And make sure to check out his book. So now we're going to roll on into the news, and this week most of our news pertains to Disney Plus.
1: It does. There's there's a lot of Disney Plus news. So Disney had their quarterly earnings call, and so we got actually a lot of information out of Bob Chapek. So a lot of it was around Disney Plus. Uh, a quick note before on Di- before we get to Di- Disney Plus though, Uh, Bob Chapek did announce that the parks are at 35% capacity now. So so they bumped capacity up a little bit. And he mentioned that part of that is due to increase in ride capacity. So there have been reports that they've added plexiglass to a number of the rides to be able to include uh, multiple families. So like Rise of the Resistance, for instance, they're only letting one family on per car. Now that they have plexiglass, they can have two. So they say that's why they've increased it. So I don't know when this went into effect, yeah. Um, but maybe it has been for the past few weeks, but it looks like, you know, capacity is up a little bit. Yeah. On Disney Plus news, I, I think one really surprising piece is that they announced with, within a year, so this is Disney Plus's uh, one-year anniversary, it's hard to believe that, but they have 73 million subscribers worldwide. Whoa. That's a lot. It is. It's... It's about, I think, half of what Netflix has, and you know, Netflix has been around considerably longer, so they are definitely picking up steam uh, in terms of in terms of subscribers there, and that, that kind of leads to the next point, and I think what is the most um, foretelling comment from the conference call, and that's kind of around the whole, you know, Mulan, Premium Rental, Soul is free. Chepeck uh, was asked about that. And he essentially said gave soul out for free almost like a Christmas present to subscribers. Like yeah. they were pleased with how well Mulan did, but they realized, you know, part of it is also free content um to people as well. So around the holidays. Mm-hmm. But I want to read this quote because I, I think this really goes to tell you where they're heading with disney plus so uh chapek uh, is quoted as saying in terms of soul we also realize that part of the lifeblood of disney plus is is providing great content to the base level subscribers that are in there and i want to emphasize those words base level
0: yeah it it almost makes it seem like there's going to be another level here
1: yeah and we we talked about this a few weeks ago maybe a month ago whenever it was announced that soul was going to be free and we kind of speculated this that maybe there's a, a premium level that if you want to pay ten or fifteen dollars a month, you can get all of these movies earlier. You know, yes. so instead of paying thirty dollar premium rental, it's maybe just packaged in, but then the, you know, the lowest tier, you know, still gets everything six months after.
0: Right, right, yeah. So I think it's definitely it's just going to be a, a time release situation. I think for the most part, I could see them making other content. Like I, one thing that I was thinking about is, you know, we got rid of a, a lot of our DVDs and Blu rays and things, and I don't think a lot of those extra features are on Disney Plus that you might have on. No, they are. Are they? Yeah. At, at least I mean, I haven't looked at for least them, for like so. the
1: Marvel movies. I mean, I I know. You know, I've, I've looked at like Endgame, Infinity War, all the deleted scenes, all of the making of documentaries, they do have everything on there. So I could
0: see that being something that maybe they would put in that extra subscription as well.
1: Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting. He, he made a reference that they're going to discuss more about this at their December investor call. And interestingly enough, kind of another piece of news, WandaVision, which was supposed to be released in December before the end of this year, has been pushed a little bit. So it's not going to come out until January 15th. And I don't know if those two are connected because I'm a little worried that in December they do announce some sort of either price increase because again they have 73 million subscribers, so yeah. they they could probably bump the price up a little bit. I mean, Netflix just announced they're raising their price. I think it's 14 or 15 dollars a month now. Disney Plus is seven, so I mean, even if they went to 9.99, yeah, you know, it, it's not a lot. But I'm I'm kind of worried that they're going to announce. Hey, we're gonna have a new tier that's twelve, fifteen dollars a month that all of our 2020 movies, or or maybe, you know, Wandavision even, if you want to see it right away, you have to be in this premium tier, but then the base tier again, you know, gets everything at a later date. I don't think they do that with Wandavision, but I could see them doing that with all the 2021 movies, just saying kind of like what Universal's doing with a lot of their movies where They're going to be in theaters for like 30 days and then it's going video on demand versus, you know, the typical six months or something until it's released on streaming Mm -hmm. that Disney creates this new tier in December because their 2021 movie slate is packed with movies. And I think there's still a lot of question on how quickly people come back to the movie theaters. right? And so I could see them saying that, hey, there's going to be a premium option. You'll get to see everything that comes out in theaters one month after. And then regular Disney Plus subscribers are the typical you know, four to six months. Right. I, I could see them announcing that at the end of the year um, because it, it definitely seems like they're ready to pull that lever, I think a lot sooner than they thought. I don't think they thought they were going to get 73 million subscribers in a year. I mean, their, is- their goal was like 90 million within five years.
0: I mean, you know, Disney's been hit by the coronavirus, but you have to imagine, though, this part has helped their streaming a little bit. More people are home. They're looking for things to do. So they're paying for that subscription when maybe, you know, Disney wasn't projecting that before. So, yeah, it makes sense that they hit that number sooner than they thought.
1: Yeah. And and you have to think about it. I mean, even if they raised it $2 at 70 million subscribers a month, that's over $800 million in a year that they're getting by just by just two dollars so you know if if they do have multiple tiers and uh, they're gonna have to drive revenue i mean this they've kind of announced that they're going all in on streaming this is kind of their main revenue source i think they know theatrical releases the box office isn't going to be as big as we've seen the past few years where you know endgame's getting close to three billion dollars i mean that's just not happening anytime soon they're going to need you know these other avenues to kind of entice people so i I think it's really really telling um that that chapec brought that up on the conference call and you know it sounds like in december we'll find more out about uh, you know what their strategic model is going forward yeah all right, so that that wraps up the show for this week. I want to thank everybody again for listening. If you're new here, we'd love to have you subscribe and listen every week. We have
0: come back and see us. Yes,
1: um, you know, and leave us a rating or a review. That really helps as well. It really helps us reach a larger audience. We really appreciate uh, everyone listening from week to week.
0: Thanks for lending us your ears. Have a
1: great week, everybody. We'll see you here next Monday. Bye bye.